Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about ethical questions from the new movie Spider-Man No Way Home. And we're doing that with Nathan Blackwell and Chrissy Lenz of the Most Excellent 80s Movies Podcast. There'll be a little bit of, you know, 80s nostalgia there thrown in, along with me talking a lot about how much I miss New York City. All that more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. And as I said, I've got two great guests with me today. You all have heard me talk about what I'm doing on the Marvel Movie Minute podcast, where I'm getting to talk about Thor in, in great depth. One of the most fun things we're doing on that podcast is that every, every bunch of five episodes every week, we're bringing on different guests, and it's giving me a chance to, to learn about and work with all sorts of great people who are doing fun podcasts. And frankly, when I heard about there was a uh, podcast dedicated to the greatest decade in human history and my favorite for uh, movies, having nothing to do with the fact that it's the decade I grew up in, the 80s, I knew I had to get you folks on. So, uh, Nathan, Chrissy, so good to have you on. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much. Super excited. It's going to be uh, tons of fun. Can't wait to talk about Spider-Man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let me start with, what did you kind of know about Spider-Man going into this movie? And I'm, I'm curious, both in terms of like what you've seen of the MCU stuff, but also like, granted, not movie, but you know, the Spider-Man cartoon was obviously a big part of, you know, childhood in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the comic books. Where was Spider-Man for each of you and kind of your personal mythology of heroes and stuff? You want to go first, Nathan? Sure. <laughs> um, so I grew up on Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man was my dude, you know? Like, um, yeah. you know, I think we all have kind of, like, entry or gateway superheroes that kind of, like, get you into the genre or superheroes in, in general. And, and while, like, Superman and Batman were definitely a part of that story, Spider-Man was really the one that I gravitated towards when I could, you know, when I was old enough to make yeah. decisions, you know, and, and to have judgments. Because, I mean, everyone starts off thinking Superman's cool, but um, but then I eventually went the uh, the Spider-Man path. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, just, just him being human and him being relatable. And, you know, and it was interesting. Like, I... I it's I, my brother my uh my younger brother by 2 years Logan he was more into getting the comic books and I would read them but I was more into rather than reading the individual issues more the culture and the world building and like I would get those uh those books from the library about like you know like the 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 all the different villains and all the different locations mm. of Spider-Man and and you know I'd watch the cartoons, but uh, yeah, I I, I Spider-Man is very fundamental to my kind of like entry into superheroes. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you on the relatable part. You know, um, in talking about Thor so much, we talk about how like, you know, yes, Thor is a story about fathers and sons, about sibling rivalry, and those are things I can identify with. But you know. I'm not a Norse god. I don't have those experiences. Whereas, you know, for Peter Parker, where, yeah, I've never slung around in buildings, but, you know, dealing with a high school bully and trying to figure out how to ask a girl out without, you know, your head exploding, these are things that I can relate to. I, th I think you're totally right with Spider-Man being that relatable character. What about you, Chrissy? Um, I was never, like, a comic book kid, and I so I definitely, like, took in the cartoons, like the animated series that would be offered to me on an after-school basis. Um, uh, but I never really, like, I was a lot into X-Men and the Batman um, Beyond and, and sort of those cartoons mm -hmm. or, or animated series. They're way, way too serious to be cartoons, as we all know. Um <laughs> And I just only knew of Spider-Man as, you know, a pop culture uh, situation. It wasn't until, of course, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Mans came out uh, and was very into those. Uh, and then my daughter, who is 15, has always gone to Spider-Man. Spider-Man is kind of mm. one of her top uh, heroes. Um, and so we used to watch Ultimate Spider-Man and um, all of that together. She's, uh, you know, really into the Andrew Garfield uh, Spider-Mans that came out when she was like right at the perfect age. Um, mm -hmm. So that's more my experience than like my own childhood. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. And I, I am a Garfield fan. I know that's a, a somewhat unique thing, but I, I applaud her good taste then for that. 
Yeah, he's her he's her Spider Man, and that's she's she stands by it and she defends it. Well, more power to her. Yeah. I yeah, I can't help but be a, a Toby Maguire I'm in terms of just the 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 you know the the first cinematic version that you kind of latched onto, but I yeah. I'm I totally love the Tom Holland version and I, and I everything so that 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 the director John Watts and then the two writers have done with all three films like they're they're definitely the the top top you know like uh, they've just taken the ball and run with it and done amazing work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the Tobey Maguire ones. Like fell in love with them absolutely. Um, and still really enjoy them and find them highly rewatchable, of course. But there's just something about the Tom Holland Spider-Man that is so yeah. mm-hmm. pure. I don't know. Yeah. No, I can get that. And I, Tobey Maguire were definitely ones that I fell in love with first. I, in preparation for this new movie, I went back and rewatched them. And I, I have to say the did not age well factor, for me at least, was very high. Mm. <laughs> you know? As, Especially like in this new movie, and also in the last two, seeing Zendaya as this like, you know, nuanced, well-developed, you know, quirky, interesting character of MJ compared to Kristen Dunst, who I think the actress did the best thing she could with the material, but basically she just looked pretty and was an object for him and Harry to have desire for. Like it's just night and day. But yeah, it's I can see how for all all these different versions, you know, you fall mm-hmm. in love with the one you, you meet first. And, what, before we get into the movie itself, I wanted to ask one more question there, because especially here on the FX podcast, we're often talking about what does it mean to be a hero and like different ideas of, you know, are you about justice? Are you about vengeance? What is your goal? When you think of Spider-Man as a hero, what, what do you kind of think of as like the core for him uh, in terms of like what is right, what is wrong, what, he, what he's willing to do and what, he's, what lines he won't cross? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, um, you know, the baseline is like what is the right thing for superheroes in general to do. And, and you look more in terms of like the, the most superheroes, it's okay to beat the living crap out of them. And then in their movie version to kill them, usually they're, you know, they, they decide to take a bit of a high ground. Um, and then the villain accidentally dies or they're the, they're, they're the yeah. architects of their own, own death. But but I feel like Spider-Man has always been, I think, a product because of his age, but also because it's just been an important part of his, you know, neighborhood Spider-Man relatable wearing his heart on his sleeve that it, it's always been about that struggle of doing the right thing despite the the universe plotting against him. It seems like everything is always thrown at Peter Parker. He can never have what he wants. Um, but he still tries to be the guy who does the right thing, you know? I feel like you see that when he is thrown into a group of other heroes, like in the Avengers, that he still has much more of that purity um, than the the heroes around him. Yeah, fully agree with that. Um, I always love that Spider-Man is one of the like handful of heroes who still maintain a sense of humor and like joy Mm -hmm. at, you know, a joie de vivre, if you will. They're still kind of excited about life in general. And, you know, that's part of Peter Parker being so young. um, Yeah. And having that, that feeling of newness about everything. Um, whereas like you compare it to a Steve Rogers, who's just like so serious all the time. And is like, mm-hmm. Oh, always we are this way. And yeah. uh, you know, yeah. And Ant-Man really is yeah. the adult, you know, Spider-Man. yes. Yes. So yeah, true. I agree with that. Um, but, and, and Spidey is so much guided by, um, parental figures you know like he has uncle ben he has aunt may he has tony in these versions like he's he's so young and open-minded that it's easy for him to be uh guided by the people in his life who encourage him to do good yeah i think that's such a good way of putting it especially like the purity you're talking about and and the 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 youth because I, i think he he has that kind of quality that at times you can see as optimism and idealism. 
and at other times you can see his naivete and like it's always walking that line and it's such a in the same way that so many of the other heroes are you can say that they walk a line between like realistic versus jaded and cynical you know mm -hmm. and um like one, one thing that always struck me is that uh I think actually a great version of the Spider-Man story, and, and more and more we're seeing video games as as canon, uh, or, or at least as, as valuable stories, the the Spider-Man video game that came out a couple of years ago, like, one thing I noticed early on is in the game, you're constantly knocking people off the tops of tall buildings that you're fighting on. And I was thinking, like, oh, well, he, he's killing a lot of people. That's not, but sure, that's the video game. Until I kind of, a friend pointed this out, that if you, after the fight, like, swing around and look at the building, you see that every single one of them is webbed up to the side of the building. Like, the game makes a point to show that, like, he will, in every situation, he'll always try to save the life. Yeah. Um, and, and it's something I think that is such an interesting part of his character. And some of my favorite dynamics are ones in which that comes in, that kind of optimism comes in a conflict with the jadedness. Um are you both Daredevil fans? Have you seen the uh, season two of Daredevil yeah. on Netflix? Yeah, I, I've, I've, I haven't read the comics, but I've seen the uh, the Netflix shows. I've, I've mm -hmm. seen season one. Okay. So no spoilers. Well, I, no, please. I, I won't spoil anything. Spoil away. In, in season two, and this is something I talk about all the time because I think it's such an ethically rich moment, there's this fantastic scene between Daredevil and Punisher. Right. And, and Daredevil is saying, like, you know, he wants to rehabilitate. Punisher is saying he, he wants to kill them, you know. And, and my understanding is, and Nathan, you might know more about this than I do, is that that scene works for Daredevil and Punisher. But in the comics, that kind of debate was often happening between Spider-Man and Punisher. Mm -hmm. You know, with Spidey being like, well, but you don't have to kill them. And and, it, and Frank Castle being like, no, 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 we should, you know, you you do the, you hit them, they get back up. I hit them, they get back down. Yeah, I, I feel there's definitely a line in terms of, like, what are the I don't kill people um, superhero side, and I feel like Daredevil mm -hmm. and Spider Man were both on that side. You know, they would always yeah. kind of butt heads in terms of of other things. It's interesting, like like Spider Man and Daredevil. I feel like are are always kind of tied together. You know, I feel they're mm -hmm. both street level heroes like it's not that i've got new york i've got like queens you know i've got and queens I've you've got, got like hell's kitchen hell's kitchen <laughs> yeah. which is pretty a yeah. pretty small area it's like oh well, i can't leave the boundaries it's over there oh yeah um, luke cage has got that over there um yeah but it, and in fairness it's a new york city resident hell's kitchen doesn't really exist anymore it's mostly disneyland north but right it's a great idea in the, in the i've MCU, got disneyland north i would i would defend disneyland Right. Yeah, it's <laughs> important. Uh, uh, yeah, and I I feel like my I would say you could probably find a bunch of Daredevil Punisher moments that were similar, but but oh sure, but um yeah I because I remember there was a lot of debate over the Ben Affleck version to where in the beginning of the <laughs> scene the beginning of the first scene like he kills some dudes like r straight up. And people were upset right. at that, that the arc of the movie was that he then learns, I shall not kill. Yeah. You know, rather than starting at that. The problem is, is that mm -hmm. then you've got like 98% of the movie where he's kind of going against the grain of what the character stands for, you know? Right. Um, and, and I think especially in the Netflix version, we can have conversations about someone who says, I won't kill people. I will just hit them in the head with an iron pipe. Um, you know, because <laughs> mm -hmm. that certainly can't cause death. Um, I will but, concuss but yeah. all of the bad guys. <laughs> I shall concuss you. <laughs> and I think there's something really interesting there as well, because, I mean, again, I don't want to put words in Spider-Man's mouth, but as I understand it, I, I can see Daredevil and Spider-Man having such an interesting comparison there, because for Daredevil... Sometimes he thinks people deserve to die. It's that he thinks it's not... He, he doesn't have the right to kill them. Where Spider-Man, I think, is even more on the idealistic side of, like, they shouldn't die. They don't deserve to die, mm -hmm. you know? And that is, as we see so much this movie is about, is he wants to save everybody, even the villains. Yeah, he, he's a hero of the heart. Daredevil is a hero of the law. Yeah. It's the institutions sure. that, that they ultimately believe in. Like, Spider-Man sees himself as a protector, as someone who is there for the common person who, when they, they're they worried about someone over their shoulder, um, that he's there to help them, you know? Mm. Definitely. 
Well, and so with all that going into it, uh, what'd you think of this movie? Oh, it's so good. So I loved it so much. And it yeah. was, you know, I mean, I wasn't as excited going into it as I probably should have mm-hmm. been. I was definitely not as excited going in as I was coming out because I, you know, just sort of felt like, well, I know what I know what they're going to do. I know what they're going right. to do. And I completely underestimated the impact that it would have. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So okay, so we are, are so are we now officially going into full 100 uh unabated spoilers? Yeah, this is now a um generally with with this show, if if you're listening, we assume that you've watched the the thing we're right. talking about, but yeah, at this point, if you have not yet seen Spider-Man um No Way Home, hit the pause button. Um, Go see it twice. Know, find a way to watch it. Uh-huh. Uh, if you ha- if you're waiting for it to be out online, which I very much sympathize with, and I'm gonna do another episode later about the streaming company, the companies that won't release these things on streaming, because that's a whole ethical question. But whether it's 45 days from now or just tomorrow, hit pause if you haven't seen it. Away yet. with Otherwise, you. <laughs> let's jump on in. Yes, and if you haven't seen it, then you're a fool. A fool. <laughs> very well. Then you deserve this. Spoil away. What do you, you guys Oh, say? that's all I want. Uh, well, I, I, I have okay. nothing else to say. Good, just, good night, everyone. I, I gotta say, like the moment when um, Garfield, uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, Peter Parker, comes through. So they open. Uh, Ned opens the portal, and you see a Spider-Man, right? And right. we kind of know it's probably not our Spider-Man, but my daughter who's sitting next to me she like grabs me and she's like that's him that's him that's him that's him that's garfield that's garfield <laughs> and i was like what and she's like i can tell by the shape of his head <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love a true fan yeah. i mean there you go. so when he like jumped in and like took the, and took the mask off like just her delight was mm-hmm. so oh, the gasps awesome. in the in the audience mm-hmm. yeah for yeah. those who weren't you know uh, prepared for it yeah for me that is such a beautiful moment because one thing we talk about on the show a lot is not just the ethics of the stories that we as fans love but also the ethics of fandom itself you know and I think I am all for being critical of things I'm all for like talking about you know performances that we don't think are good. I think one of the worst parts of fandom can be when it crosses over from I don't like the Andrew Garfield version of Spider-Man into I'm going to harass Andrew Garfield on social media or mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about how terrible he is. And um, as a Star Wars fan, certainly this is something we have a lot to account for. And I mean, I remember I, I hadn't seen the Andrew Garfield movies until very recently because at the time my thought was we just had Tommy McGuire. I don't want to do mm-hmm. And knowing how negative a lot of the fan base had been for so... And and that some of it had crossed into those lines of harassing him. And like he's talked about, that was a really hard thing for him to go through. The cheer that I heard in the audience when he took off the mask and you saw it was him. and, And everything about him all the way through to... Trying to get choked up. Him having that wonderful moment where he gets to save MJ the way he couldn't save Gwen. It was just, mm-hmm. it, it's beautiful for the movie, but it all, it, it felt to me like it was also in some way a, we didn't treat Garfield yeah. right as fans. This movie is going to mm-hmm. address that. And I love yeah, that. It, so it, if you're a jerk and you haven't seen the movie and you're still listening, they, they really <laughs> do make all the right moves. Like if you are attached to any of the Spider-Man movies, like they really do touch and pay off for everyone and it they do such yeah. a great job mm-hmm. of 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 doing of doing justice to every damn character that ever appears on screen like from J Jonah Jameson who has like you know 180 seconds of screen time you know to to all the different Spider-Mans all the different villains mm-hmm. all the characters we've come to know from from the homecoming kind of trilogy like they they do fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think too part of the Andrew Garfield, um, the thing that I think caught my my kids' fancy in that version is something that you mentioned, Matthew, is that the Gwen Stacy character is as mm-hmm. smart as Peter and is 
yeah. as brave, you know, and and bold, and uh, you know, she she really is somebody to look up to and and admire. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that 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 difference in that character made the Andrew Garfield version more accessible and meaningful to kids kids who yeah. didn't get Andrew who got Andrew Garfield first in their let's go to the movies and not a, a didn't experience Tobey Maguire until later yeah I my my spouse who, who watched all of them with me commented that if you look at the Kirsten Dunst character and then the uh, Emma Stone and then now Zendaya you basically get 25 years of history of how Hollywood treats leading women in in superhero movies, you know, because, and again, I think Kirsten Dunst is a great actress. She's, but her part is just to be a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. And then Gwen Stacy gets to be a lot smarter and a lot more of like challenging Garfield all the way up to Zendaya, uh, you know, and, and her version of the character. And it's just, I, I hadn't even thought of that, but it's great to hear that, yeah, that's a part of why characters like the, the Garfield Moors, because who he's playing against, yeah. it's a better relationship mm-hmm. there. So let's talk about um, some of the other kind of specific questions we get into with the movie itself. And let's start with the villains, because I think, again, one of the things I think the movie did so well was to bring in all of these villains. And instead of making them just from day one, they want to just break stuff and be terrible and they have to be stopped. Each of them is presented as complex characters who are now facing their own decisions about what do I want to do? I'm in this situation. And especially with Osborne and with uh, with um, Osborne and with Otto and, and even Electro, um, uh, with all of them, we get these great choices. What, what do you think about how the villains were portrayed, especially in terms of like where they stand as like ethical or non-ethical or, you know, the, the unredeemable villain versus the sympathetic and et cetera? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like uh, this movie, from a superhero standpoint, breaks new ground because it's almost expected that the hero is going to kill off the villain. You know, oh no, I tried to save you, but you had to go for the bomb. Why did you go for the bomb and blow yourself up? The hubris, and then he dies, and it's like, oh man. And I remember being so glad that they didn't kill off Michael Keaton in the first, in the homecoming one. It's like, oh, oh, oh that's yeah. you know, what a relief. <laughs> you know, just it it just became so expected that you had to kill them off. But has I can't think of other than like, you know, maybe like the Thor and Loki relationships, of of having so we ha- you know, it's not until they've already rounded up pretty much all the villains that Peter makes this decision. He makes the decision that I don't want to send them to their death. If it 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 is now my choice, I know what is going to happen. Doctor Strange, my kind of new father figure of this movie, is telling me it is their fate. It must happen, and he says, "I can't. I can't do this." And so the hero makes now a conscious choice to try to fix the villain's problems. You know, yeah. many of you know you've got the Sandman, you've got um, Shocker, who have these like scientific accidents. You know, you've got um, Doc Ock as well. All these villains, they've had accidents happen to them. Or, they, be or they've done it to themselves. Into. Like, they, yeah. that was a hilarious moment. Yeah. you got to be careful where you fall. So genius. But, the yeah, and then you've got the three scientists who did what they did to themselves through their to... scientific hubris, right? right. They're, mm-hmm. they're hoisted on their own uh, petard, literally, and in its uh, tentacle-like form. <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah, they're the consequence of, of whatever kind of pursuit that they had for power or achievement. Um, but yeah, so Peter Parker makes the decision, no, I want to help them. I and, want to see if I can fix them. And, we and that... I, will, I will have them participate Sorry. in this process. You know, uh, we get that a little bit from Aunt May when Norman uh, t- Osborne sort of comes into her shelter um, of her saying, we're going to help people. This is what we do. He needs help uh, and he's asking right. for help. And so we're going to help. Yeah. And, and then I think that really can translate to the it's what we do line that keeps coming up, you know, and. I mean, I'm going to keep coming back to that moment. It's one of my favorites. It's part of why I think the Garfield MJ moment is so important because, you know, he tried to save Gwen Stacy, who was, you know, the person he himself was completely in love with. Now, when it's MJ falling, like, 
he has empathy in that, um, you know, this is the person who's in love with the, his kind of mirror version, but he doesn't know her. He knows almost nothing about her. And yet he's just as quick to be like, I'm going to save this person. And I think part of the implication is, even if she wasn't, you know, the other Peter Parker's girlfriend, if he, she was just random woman number six who was in danger, you know, helping people, saving people is absolutely what Spider-Man does. Yeah, and it, but I think this is the first time we really get to see, like, no, I'm going to help them. Like, I'm going to undo right. the thing that made them um, bad, right? Because they're not inherently evil. They all, you know, or, or the Thomas Hayden Church character was a criminal. Um, right. The other three were, like, doctor scientists. So they, I mean, Osborne pretty much killed one of his associates in order to help mm. him before he became the Green Goblin. Like he was, he was evil capitalist number six, number sixteen. Okay, you know? okay. but yeah, he becomes much worse to be sure. Yeah, it was, so it's like we're gonna un, we're gonna take away the thing that's making them or encouraging this bad behavior, right? The mm-hmm. serum yeah. of the Green Goblin, the chip. Or Doctor Octopus, yeah. you know, kind of undo or to, you know take away their magical abilities, so that then they're just regular human dum dums again. <laughs> we all know yeah. regular human dum dums aren't aren't evil and never do anything wrong. Of course, of course not. Well, and that's actually that that for me was one of the biggest ethical questions that I wanted to talk about, and. and I'm probably going to do a whole episode on, on just these two questions. We don't have to go into too much depth, but I'm, I'm curious if, if you're all where I am. I, I had a lot of problems with what Spider-Man did here. And, and to me, this is kind of where that question of idealism crossing into naivete kind of starts to come out. Um, first, just because, and, and again, this is kind of how the movie was set up. You have a long period of time where um, the villains are loose and... And Spider-Man is saying, I won't push this button that will put them all back uh, because I think I want to save them. And so I'm willing to have them be out in the wild while I try to round them all up. I mean, I'm talking about them as though they're zoo animals, but you, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, for, and the movie makes it very easy for him because apparently Green Goblin, Doc Ock, all the rest of them are out in the world for seven, eight hours and do absolutely no harm to anybody, which is interesting. Um, but I look at that, and one of my questions is, if, you know, Green Goblin went out and killed 10 people, or Doc Ock did his thing, or whatever, would would Peter be responsible for that? You know, in terms of, like, because he made this decision, I want to save people, even though it means I'm not stopping the danger right now. Where, where do you think that fall? Is that a time where Spidey's idealism is going too far, or is that, that risk worthwhile to save these people? Well, I would, I would say that I don't... Feel like he, um, in terms of like culpability, I don't feel like he was. Uh, I mean, he didn't have like a fire lit under him, but I don't feel like enough time passed uh, in terms of seeking mm-hmm. out these villains and hunting them down uh, that I would have given him culpability for it, for it um, personally. Um, in terms of, uh, yeah, Chrissy, I don't know. What do you think about that? Um. Yeah, kind of agree. Like, if they each kill one person, then the lives <laughs> that he saved aren't, you know. Um, or if they go to back to their home worlds and kill people. Um, but I think that in this universe, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and the, the heroes who went through the whole blip situation mm-hmm. had to answer that question of, like, what is one life worth if the right. impact of removing half of the life on planet earth means that the earth is better but then you you take it to like each individual person losing somebody uh and the the people who disappeared um i think them having gone through that and maybe the fact that both of them got blipped mm-hmm. sort of That's gave right. a little bit of like a well if we can save a life, we should save a life. Um, yeah. And it, they, it seemed to me like, especially when all the Spider-Mans got together and it was a Spidey fest, 
they were both like, but we can save them. We can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, certainly, like, whether or not you agree with the decision, uh, him deciding to do that felt, like, very, very much in his character. Like, I, I, I've seen some folks who disagree with it, but I've also seen some folks who, are, who, who write things like, you know, why would Spider-Man do that? Doesn't he know he's putting these other lives at risk? And, and like, no, I don't. To me, that's yeah. always what he will always try to save everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of uh, actually, as I think about it, I remember this was actually a part of the first Tobey Maguire movie where, you know, Green Goblin says, you know, along comes a villain to make you make a terrible choice. Do you save the woman you love or do you save the busload of children? And Peter refuses to choose. He's he tries to save both and he does. And it's a Spider-Man movie, so he's successful. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me that he's never really had to face that question mm-hmm. in a real way. Yeah. I feel like in terms of of Spider-Man's decision and the culpability, it really only begins once he makes the choice to um, to try to save them and to have them participate and to trust that they – to let them out of the cage and to trust to have them participate in it. Because then you basically right. have, you know, a bunch of roommates – and one of them could leave and then start killing people. One of them you know? stayed right. in the van. They're like, oh, where, where's the giant dinosaur? Yeah. He, want, he wanted to stay there. We didn't leave him there. Yeah. That's, he wanted at to at that point, when you let the prisoners out of the cage, at that point, you are now responsible for their behavior. And but if they get out... Right. That's great yeah, responsibility, it, right? Isn't that great responsibility? Like, now I'm responsible mm-hmm. for me and you and you and you and everything that you go forward from here and do. Um, and I think that that's sort of his way of, like, taking on that responsibility and, and being willing to trust and... Mm-hmm. And so, risk. yeah, and, and from that risk and taking on that responsibility... One person does die. Yeah. 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 Well, and so they talk about math a lot in this movie. Like, math is, like, <laughs> the real hero of this movie. Um, <laughs> from Doctor Strange's uh, statement that in the ca- in the grand calculus of the universe, their deaths are more meaningful than their lives. I'm getting that wrong. Um, but it's... I, I think that's the, the gist of what he says, yeah. And yeah. then, you know... To Spider-Man, the math of not, you know, let's save one life. One life is worth saving, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. It's almost kind of like the, it reminds me of some of the debates that, like, Captain Picard would have with various time travelers. It's like, no, no, you don't understand is that I live in my time. And if I can make decisions, I don't care about your grand timeline. Like, if it is up to me to save these people, and I, you know, then I will do that. You know, I don't care if they're destined to do blah, blah, blah. I am a citizen of now. Right. Which is so interesting because a similar question is faced in the original Star Trek series, where, you know, the, the um, I, I forget the name, I think it's City on the Edge of Forever. It's, it's one of the best Star Trek episodes, I think a lot of people's favorites, where McCoy goes back in time, he saves the life of a woman, and it turns out that the the woman uh, was going to be the leader of a great pacifist movement, and that if she lived, uh, America would be so much deeper into pacifism that they wouldn't be able to rearm in time, they wouldn't fight Nazi Germany, and the Nazis would win. And and, and at the end of the, 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 the episode, the characters decide to let her die. Um, and I think, kind of, Nathan, what you're saying is, like, Spider-Man and maybe even Picard, but definitely Spider-Man would go to that and be like, look, I I can't talk to you about what's going to happen 10 years down the road. Here's a woman. She's about to be hit by a car. I'm going to save her every time. Yeah, because that that is working under the assumption, too, that time is immovable. And if you're literally traveling in time, guess it's not. I mean, (laughs) Um, just because this is one possible. How many outcomes does Doctor Strange look at? 14 million or something like that before he finds one where the -hmm. Avengers win. So keep looking until you find the one, you know, he, if he had stopped at 13 million, it was just like, oopsie doopsie guys. Looks like we're not going to win this (laughs) one. You know, you you keep going till you find a way. And one thing I think is really interesting is uh, kind of pulling it back to the villains a bit. 
I really like that they're not all the same in terms of, at least the way I saw it, the degree to which they, they have agency versus there being this outside thing controlling them it is it's kind of a wide range, you know, in terms of like Doc Ock, it's pretty clear, like there are actual different intelligences, sentiences in these arms and they're controlling his brain. Electro is a guy who's been marginalized and oppressed and bullied and spat on all of his life and suddenly has the power to fight back. He's not brainwashed. He's not, he's just, he's got power and he does some not great things with it. And, and then all the others are in between. I think there's, to me, it was really interesting seeing how Parker wants to fix all of them, but but from their perspectives, like, there's, there's a wide range of how, I don't know, maybe fixable each one of them really is. And I, I think yeah. that um, Electro, you know, J.B. Fox as Electro s- speaks that quite a bit, where he's like, I, I like mm-hmm. the way I am. I like having power. Right. I want mm-hmm. to stay here, but I'd also rather not die. And since you've got the power to <laughs> kill me... I guess you're calling the shots, you know, like he's, mm-hmm. he's yeah, it's, it's pretty definitely, open. yeah, it, it, that's, and it's definitely a great way to bring up that idea, you know, in mm-hmm. some ways he is an addict to power, you know, he is kind right. of, um, but he is also, you know, um, thinking very clearly, which many of these here, many of these heroes are not. Um, yeah. And so, he effectively, with in that situation, makes a bargain. It's like the Sandman, in a lot of ways, is um, is so, you know a criminal who just wants his daughter back. He feels like he doesn't deserve his fate, and his superpower is a in a, a way that he can fight back and resist the forces that he feel are against him. You know, right? So I get if given the option, I'm sure he would choose to keep his powers. You know? Yeah. And then have his daughter. And to me, that raises the... Yeah, in some ways, I kind of think about, like, of all of them, like, he's kind of going back to the worst Right, situation. that's what I was... Like, like, he should have been like, is it cool if I stay, like, where I'm not a fugitive of just from justice? And the same with Electro. Like, it, they, if he goes home, does he now answer for his crimes in that right. well, universe? Well, and that's my other question is because, and again, I've commented that I think one of the great things about this movie is that I could love it so much, even though I fundamentally disagree with the main character. And and I think I might be, you know, unique in that. I think a lot of people can totally understand where he's coming from. And it's fine if you all disagree as well. But I'm curious, because one of the things that, to me, there's kind of something of a mental illness metaphor going on here in terms of, you know, the whole idea of like, you know, can criminal behavior be rehabilitated? Is it? trace to mental illness or not can it be can it be rehabilitated or just punished and like questions of addiction or all sorts of things like this um and i'm speaking in very general terms here because i think these are obviously much more complex nuanced issues but but in that framework or even without that framework i think i was somewhat troubled that peter parker he's fixing these people without their consent you know even when they're actively fighting against it and like with doc ock you know there we know that it's the other personality is happening but like with some of the others, I'm kind of curious if you had any thoughts on that of, like, it makes sense. This is exactly what Peter wants to do. He thinks they can be fixed. But is there any questions to be raised there about, like, should he be trying to to fix people when it's not what they would necessarily want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of offer it, it kind of, you know, offers the debate of if you have someone who is suffering from paranoid delusions and refuses to take medication because they think that that's going to control them. But the medication will most likely make them no longer paranoid, you know. Is it ethical to to force the medicine upon them and put them in a state where they will most likely be grateful that that, that has happened? Or do you respect their wishes, which is, I do not want any medication, you know. Because right. I've known people... You know, who have had like schizophrenia, who absolutely, absolutely refuse to be medicated, despite the fact that maybe it would probably help them, you know? Well, I think that's where kind of the question really goes. Because, yeah, I, actually, I have, um, uh, it's not like you know, different examples are always get, there are going to be things on every side. One of my first jobs was working at a disability rights law firm, and one of our client groups was 
clients who weren't in that position. It was people who were dealing with severe mental illness. Their family was suing them to go on medication. They had been on medication and they hated it. And they thought, you know, it was kind of turning them into zombies or whatever it was. Or and again, this was 20 years ago. Medications changed so much. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's such a rich question there of like who gets to decide what is better, you know, mm -hmm. who, you know, all these kind of things. And uh, that's a whole other medical debate that I don't know if any of us have the medical degrees to get, to get into. But I, I love that, that that to me feels like the question this movie was raising in really interesting ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like the vo the villains were, were given the opportunity to voice their concerns and to bring it up and to not make it mm -hmm. so um, straightforward. Yeah, I mean, definitely. yeah, that's definitely a tough one because as Nathan was saying, like, can you make that decision if you're not in a in a place mm -hmm. of understanding, you know, and it right. like for Norman Osborne and like, you know, I think Doc Ock is the clearest example where it's like he wasn't making his choices from a place of understanding and seeing mm -hmm. the the true picture. He's seeing the picture he he believes is the true picture you know and then you've got right. uh electro who's like i don't want to give you my power but i guess if it's that or <laughs> death but like i want to keep living so you know uh -huh. um the, the more pra practical of you what's the word mj uses pragmatic he's being very pragmatic yeah. um but yeah that's i mean that's a tough call and i think Peter was thinking of it uh, perhaps from the point of view of like, well, I either fix you or you die. So I can't like, right. I can't send you back to your uh, universe and you don't die. And I can't send you back without trying to help knowing that these options are available to me. Um, so, and I think that's a big piece of it too, is like the options were available like he right. felt it, like there was really only two paths that he could have taken and he you know? he had the know-how to to fix it you know and especially once we got the other uh spider-mans in there like you know andrew garfield had the knowledge to fix dr connor's because he had been mulling it over you know or, or had done it or already done it once and um toby mcguire had been thinking and thinking like how could i how could i have helped Norman. Mm -hmm. uh, they they were basically dealing with their guilt of how the situation had gone the other way of, of you I know, I didn't help Nor them. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I wish I could have. And that is something I also really loved because I, I think so often the 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 tone of superhero movies becomes. And granted, we like the big fight scenes. That's what looks good on the big screen. But it's you know, one person says it should be this way. The other person says it should be that way they start punching each mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. instead of like, well, you know, like I, I think the greatest movie would be if Tony Stark says we should have some accountability and Cap says, yes, we should have accountability, but Sokovia is a bad way to do that. And Tony says, okay, good point. Let's talk about a better way to do that. And then Civil War, the, you know, yeah. boardroom meeting. <laughs> That's not the meeting everyone right. wants to move Civil War, <laughs> PowerPoint. <laughs> the meaningful exactly, and well-mediated exactly. discussion that will have us clashing. <laughs> Give us the slide deck they show. Um, and let's talk about Norman for a second, because I think in some ways Norman is the most interesting because, and you all might might uh, better remember this, but the way I read Norman is, it, it wasn't even that he had a kind of like outside influence. It was sort of he had a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing going on. Mm -hmm. Because in the movie, at least what we see, and I think from the comics, before he begins like the Green Goblin, Norman's not a great guy. He's kind of a terrible father to Harry. He's terrible to his employees. He's willing to cut. And then what kind of happens is Green Goblin becomes all of the worst parts of that and leaves for Norman all the sort of best parts. And 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 so yeah, he becomes a really interesting thing. It's, it, it, it's not anything outside. It's just his personality, but now split into such extremes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they it was definitely kind of a, a Dr. Jekyll... And and Mr. Hyde, uh, thing. I they had in the in the original one. They had almost kind of like a a golem scene where he is talking to his evil version in the mirror. You know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, that was really interesting, and I was really just from a fan point of view, really happy that 
that in a lot of ways the Green Goblin became kind of the alpha villain when all the other villains are assembled. Um, mm-hmm. He just felt so, you know, powerful in terms of a concept, and but in terms of the extreme uh, of his personality that 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 the evil. Um, the the evil um, uh, Green Goblin version was just so sinister, was just yeah. so and for and physically formidable because he was basically what they were trying to do is basically create a super soldier serum, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And and how did that go awry? Well, it created this mental instability. Well, and Willem Dafoe is just such a dynamic performer that i mean wow um in his hands that's really some quite something to see um so i I love melina i like jamie fox and things willem dafoe just was running right every other actor he's incredible uh and so he sort of presents the other side of the argument to the villains at large when he says, like, these aren't curses, they're gifts. Like, we have been gifted this power. It's exactly yeah, what he Aunt is the May villain, says. He's the villain spokesman. Yeah, she, yeah. Aunt May says, right. you have a gift, and that gift is power, yeah. and with that power comes responsibility. And Norman is saying, we have a gift, we have this power, and with that becomes a, a obligation to take what we oh, want. Yeah. yeah, we are gods. And we don't ask, gods don't ask permission, um, you know. I, I hadn't even caught that uh, uh, reference between like what he's saying versus what Aunt May says, but yeah, you're so and right. And he mm-hmm. even taunts Peter when they're fighting and says like, you could have everything that you want, but you're afraid to take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. really interesting because like ultimately, just as a fan of superhero culture, you know, it's so interesting. It, it was always fascinating to me. Like, what is, what does this rogues gallery of for this hero say about our hero? You know, you've yeah. got like all the Batman villains being effectively kind of like super superfied versions of like you know, you know, nineteen forties, nineteen fifties villains, but they all have like a weird psychological twist to them. You know, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's interesting seeing all of Spider Man's villains. That a lot of them are also victims. You know, a lot of them are yeah. victims of science, like he was, and you know? and circumstance yeah. and where you fall, and circumstance, yeah, um, and circumstance of where you fall. Um, I, but I mean, Otto is a victim of Norman, yeah. like, and I love that that comes out in the movie. You know? uh, I think too that um, the we talked about. You know, can you can you undo? your past mistakes you can't but you can try to do better the next time right and we and it's so it's so beautiful it's my favorite part of the movie of course when andrew garfield uh saves mj because he learned from his mistake you know not to web her but that he has to catch her um he wouldn't have known that if he hadn't made a terrible terrible mistake right and you know Toby Maguire is also trying to make up for his mistakes and the things that they did wrong. Well, can we not look for like a Norman Osborne to say, I screwed up. I want to do better this next time. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But I, one thing that this movie did performance wise that I thought was really incredible was that they really allowed the actors to show you what they felt rather than tell you what they felt right so yeah. like i'm thinking of that scene where toby mcguire stops tom holland from be from being able to kill um the green goblin mm-hmm. and you just they stay on his face and you see in his eyes it says everything you need to say um and it yeah. like to tie in the mental health thing too. There's that great moment with all three Spider-Mans where he's like, "Hey, I don't know. I'm not liking this negative self-talk. You're you're amazing. Can, can you yeah. say that back to me? So like, good. I need to hear you say it. Like, that was so good. I love that so much. So, yeah, that was I a lot of ideas I sort of put into one paragraph. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I think I think you're right. I think that. Um... I hadn't even real somehow I hadn't put to I was just so overtouched by the like this time he saved her that I hadn't realized that you're right that it's Garfield he does something different he doesn't 
you know, for those who don't remember the, that movie, it's that he, he webs her, but the, <clears throat> the nature of the web is that it stretches a little bit, and so, like, the web catches her, and she still keeps falling a few more feet, and thus, you know, hits, and, that, and that's how she dies. And this time he catches her instead. And yeah, and it, and it, I think that's another really beautiful part of the story is this idea of that these fates aren't sealed, aren't fixed, and that we can change things and we can learn and we can grow. From universe to universe, you know, from this Spider-Man to right. that Spider-Man. In this one, you know, it was Uncle Ben's uh, words. In this universe, it, there was no Uncle Ben. So Aunt May, you know, got to uh, be that role in Peter's life. So e- even though each one of them is so similar and there are all of these timelines there are little differences and there all are things that can be changed and there are you know these little fourth dimensional mm-hmm. um consequences both positive and negative yeah well so let's talk about the one other big kind of set of ethical questions i was seeing in the movie which is we, we've talked about how Peter winds up having these parental figures you know like aunt may uncle ben but then later tony happy to an extent um, Mysterio for a little bit, though that goes, Mysterio's a real bad babysitter. Um, and now Doctor Strange. Um, and granted, I'm not a parent, um, and Doctor Strange isn't officially a parent, but I'm curious, if you left your child with a babysitter, and the babysitter heard that your child was upset that people weren't getting into, like, the right schools, and so decided, okay, I'll help the child fundamentally rewrite reality... <laughs> What's your take on the parental responsibility of Doctor Strange in a moment like that? I love Doctor Strange. First, let me preface saying, like, he is my, probably the, if I could pick one character to be in the MCU, it would be Doctor Strange. However, that is he's a not huge great with surprise kids. to me. Like, that really surprises me, Nathan. But, uh, yeah, no, he, he's not great, super great with kids. And he's not he's not super great with like personal responsibility on the whole. I mean, he gets yeah. he always gets where he needs to be in the end, but you know. And and as a lot of people I think have pointed out, this is Doctor Strange at a very different point in his life than we saw him in the last mm-hmm. movies, you know. Um he's not the sorcerer supreme anymore. There's all this snow in the in in the mage building because he just hasn't been able to clean it up yet. And and so yeah, it it, it again it it feels totally believable to me that he would try to fix this for Peter. Mm-hmm. Both because I think he does have that compassion for Peter, but also there's an ego there of it's the challenge. It's the, and I, it, to me, I think one of the most like telling moments is that as Peter keeps doing more and more to make the spell more and more unstable, you know, Strange is mad at him. He's saying, stop, stop, you gotta stop. But he still is going to try and cast a spell because in his mm-hmm. mind, like, he is still the person who thinks he can always do it. Um, and that just like, yeah, what we can talk about Spidey all the time because it's his movie. But I think Strange's choices could could suffer some uh, ethical mm-hmm. uh, examination to be sure. Yeah, when you're in in many in many op, in many situations when you are the smartest person in the room and in some ways the most powerful person in the room. Um, that can totally go to your head, you know, especially when you're mm-hmm. dealing with something like the entire universe, you know, um, effectively, you know, uh, Dr. Strange is a magic version of Tony Stark. They have the, the same kind of hubris and arrogance. Yeah. They have a lot of power at the, the beginning, same facial hair, the same facial hair, which, which <laughs> I support. Um, but, uh, it, it, but in many ways you've got to, con- you know, you've got to continue to bring up their issue. It can't be something that has just been magically solved. They've improved a lot, but you have to continue to bring up their main dilemma, you know? And so I think I've been curious because he goes through in the, in the first Dr. Strange movie, he goes through such a transformation from beginning to end. I was really kind of curious on how they would bring back that arrogance, how they would bring back mm-hmm. the hubris, especially after so much has gone right for him. Um, I yeah. think now you can kind of see, ooh, maybe it wasn't, you know, it, it, it worked out really well when we were fighting Thanos, like, you know, changing time and peeking, you know, using the, the time stone and peeking ahead to all these different realities and getting a cheat sheet. But it kind of didn't work with the whole Spider-Man thing. You know, and so that's nice moving forward, I feel. 
um, just as a storyteller of um, of seeing yeah. how it. But yeah, um, I I feel like he did definitely have the compassion of of you know I I don't think he cared too much about the school, but he was just seeing how much that that Peter was going through, um, what all his friends were going through, and how how he was basically persecuted at this point that he was willing to now wield this fantastic power for his friends. Well, it, and and he, they make a joke of it, but he does say, like, oh, come on, we've used it for less. Like, So you get this, like, little mischievous, like, <laughs> I'm a scamp. Uh-huh. I'm a yeah. scamp who does magic. Like, do you remember mm-hmm. this? Oh, well, I mean. <laughs> well, and in some ways, it's, the, it's one more corollary to the great power and great responsibility idea because – with great power comes the responsibility to use it when you should, but also the responsibility not to overuse it, not to abuse it, not to think that everything is a ha- is a nail because you've got this glorious, wonderful, powerful hammer, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, um, like, if Doctor Strange says no, we don't have a movie, we probably have <laughs> a better situation all around, you know? Um, even if we don't ever get to discuss, you know, why it was that Tobey Maguire didn't need the web shooters and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was fun. That was really fun. What's your take on, we talked about the kind of meta-ness of all of this and how, you know, it kind of is a nice thing for Garfield to get to have his moment and kind of an apology from, you know, how fandom treated him. But obviously there's a, there, there were so many things in this movie that seemed about, I think some people call it fan service, and I, I hate that term. I, I think it was just, you know, addressing some of the things that, that fans had had questions about, but but also doing it in ways that kind of, yeah, was giving fans a lot of what they wanted. Um, you know, and, and I think the, what we just talked about with the web shooters thing, with Tony, like, giving an in-story explanation for that, having Daredevil come into the story in a way that, I mean, I I, I remember walking out of uh, Far From Home and, and saying to my spouse, you know, it's a shame that they won't bring the Netflix MCU into the MCU proper the way they should, because if Spider-Man's having legal trouble in New York City, Matt Murdock should be his lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so seeing that, I was just like, ah, oh, yes. Perfect. Uh-huh. Um, and, and what's your take on that? Like, does this become fan service and is that a bad thing? Or is this just like responsible storytelling in a way or uh, being able to balance all these things? What was your take on it? I feel like it's fan service when it doesn't work. Um, yeah. and, in, it, and in this, it you know, it's like when you, I, the first thing I thought of was like the Han Solo movie. Like when things go out of their way to... To, to kind of add, oh, this is how Han Solo got his favorite boots, you know? It, and it just feels mm-hmm. like it takes a detour uh, away from an organic story. And yeah. and I feel like in, in this movie, bringing in Matt Murdock, you know, if my mom didn't know who Matt Murdock was, she wouldn't have thought anything about that scene, you know? Right. Uh, if she saw that. It, 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 but... Yeah, it, it felt like, you know, it 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 kind of like very threaded this very careful needle of of really making the most out of all these characters who are in each other's presence and what would they do and how would they interact, um, and yet, you know, kind of reference things that we've we've already seen. Now I haven't seen. Uh, all of the I, like I saw the Andrew the first Andrew Garfield one and then I skipped the second one because I, I I I it just didn't the first one didn't work for me I was still at that point on Team you know Sam Raimi Tobey Maguire on those movies mm-hmm. um, but I was really affected by some of the stuff that um, that Andrew Garfield. Uh, did in this movie, like the dude freaking stole the show in a lot of ways, you yeah. know. And I was still affected by stuff, and maybe there were adi- additional references that I didn't get, but it still worked for me without maybe this knowing the exact specific references. And I think that's the the needle you've got to thread between fan service and, and genuinely, you know. Um, creating emotional uh, moments with these characters that maybe have past references. 
Yeah. I, I don't I missed the beginning of this, but I feel like Marvel does a great job of of letting you do homework if you feel like doing homework and not but not forcing mm-hmm. you to do homework. Like if you didn't do the required reading, you can still uh, have a great time at any yeah. of their movies. But if you want to like d- get down into the nuts and bolts like you truly can, like there's so many layers upon layers of Easter eggs and references that like you know you can gorge your little geek card out but if also if you don't feel like watching every single episode of every single marvel tv show yeah i think that's such a good way to put it from both of you and it's uh nathan i'm glad you brought up the example of the solo movie because star wars i think is a, is a franchise that has done both this very badly and quite well mm-hmm. you know solo i think is an example of where like they're throwing in things that if you don't know what it's referencing, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't feel like it fits the movie. Whereas, like, in the most recent TV show, The Bad Batch, there are so many times where you go to a planet that we've already gone to in one of the earlier Star Wars TV shows, and there's things that you see on it that that show you how the story of that planet has continued or that character's continued, and it's a great reference. But if you haven't, like you get just as much out of it because you're not, it feels like you said organic to the story. And I, I really like what you were talking about at Chrissy there of, you know, it's, it, it's where it makes sense. You know, it's where it's, it, it, it's what the characters would do anyway. Like that, that homework idea, like you can, you can, you can dig more if you want to, but even if this is just the first thing you're seeing, you can still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think it can definitely. be hard when it's like a fandom does its best to keep people out in a way or like behind um mm-hmm. uh, oh you don't get this reference so now you're suddenly feel full of shame as opposed to like mm-hmm. we just snuck this reference in like it's for you if you want it but they're not fan shaming anyone for not noticing that the magazine that's in the <clears throat> background is actually a reference to this secret thing that you only know about if you watched this animated series it's like oh my god I have to say one of my proudest moments as a podcaster um, uh, in my Star Wars podcast, we were talking about the Mandalorian and there's an episode where they see a, um, uh, a skeleton of, you know, this big kind of desert monster creature. And I, I described it in those kind of terms and I got an email from someone saying anyone who's a true Star Wars fan would know that that's a crat dragon. It's referenced in the role-playing game. It's referenced in the reference books. How can you do a Star Wars podcast if you don't know what that is? And I was just like, you know what? I I am glad that there are podcasts that will help that person find what they want. That's not the podcast I want to do. The podcast I want to do is going to talk about the characters. going to talk about the issues. And sometimes we're going to be like, yeah, wasn't it amazing when Lizard Guy, like the Lizard Guy left in the van. I have no knowledge of what the name of Mr. Lizard was in the van. I'm just going to call Mm -hmm. him Mr. Lizard. Because I'm not that, I haven't done that part of my homework, and I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. um, Luckily, his name is The Lizard, so you're not far off. Okay. I I, I like Mr. Lizard better, but I also understand that. Maybe he prefers that, and everyone just calls him The Lizard, because it's hard to tell. It it did seem, I'm going back to that villain's conversation, it did seem like his character got the littlest time in terms of why he's doing what he's doing, and... Maybe that was for the best because even yeah. in the first Garfield movie, I didn't understand his motivations at all. He he didn't have an arm. He had, he was missing an arm, and he had tried to like yeah. solve his you know regenerate like a lizard, and then he was like, "Oop! Now we should all be lizards." It was you know, <laughs> you know. And I, I speaking as an amputee, I I have my my right leg amputated. Having it grow back would be fun. I'm not sure I've ever thought. Therefore, let's all become yeah, reptiles. and then but it would like immediately turn you evil. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a trade-off it's a trade-off yeah you can make decisions well friends this has been a fantastic conversation i'm so glad i get to have you both on um is there any other last things you wanted to bring up or points you wanted to make i would love it if i would love it if this is a thing that catches on and all of a sudden every universe is valid and they can all smash into each other at any time and someday We'll get all the Batmans in a movie, and there will be too many Batmans. Uh-huh. Too many Batmans. Um, also, like the, it would be because there's, you know, they talk about like the the growth and maturity of a genre, you know, like of westerns mm-hmm. and and in superheroes. It would be great if if there is some 
lasting effects or repercussions of a, of a more humane hero villain dynamic like this you know if yeah. this is kind of part of the curve of superhero movies maturing more kind of like you know by like they i felt like they they were doing with like logan you know and and other more right. superhero movies for adults yeah i mean it's really true and i think that's in some ways that's why i'm and here we are full spoilering on this and and other mcu properties that have come up as we are seeing more of the Netflix MCU characters coming into the Disney Plus and, and on-screen MCU, you know, I, I think it's great because one of the reasons I love the, the Netflix MCU so much is it felt like it went much deeper into that gray area. You know, Captain America is good and the people he fights are bad. And Netflix, you know, Luke Cage is good, but he's doing some, you know, Jessica Jones is really cutting some ethical corners. Daredevil, what's he doing? Uh, in many ways, I think season one of Daredevil you come very close to being sympathetic to Kingpin. I mean, in part because Vincent D'Onofrio's character is just so... Mm-hmm. His acting is so good. And yeah, I like I would... I, you have to decide whether it's R or PG, and it would be hard for either Tom Holland or, or Christian Ritter to do this, but like Jessica Jones and, and Spider-Man talking about, you know, how do they deal with these things and the naivete versus the, the dark cynicism. Like, I, I'd love to see more of those conversations. So, well... Yeah. Great place to end it there. Thank you both so much for being a part of this. Um, we I, I mentioned your 80s podcast, but yeah, tell, tell folks listening at home if they want to find that. What is that and how can they find it? Yes, it is the Most Excellent 80s Movies podcast. Uh, it's at most excellent pod so of course you can search the name and find it in like all of the podcatchers and on apple and and uh itunes and stitcher and all of those things um and at most excellent pod on all of the social medias awesome yeah definitely check that out it's a great great way to um whether you're someone like me who's a child of the 80s and loves nostalgia or you know you just you have older folks in your life like me who like to (laughs) prattle on about it while we wave our canes it's a great podcast to listen to. Great we do content. we do try to Thank talk about the much. ethics too, like especially if like in the eighties ah. movies where things are very gray, very gray. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! I'm I'm looking forward to, to coming yeah. on that sometime and yes. chat with you about uh, risky business. We were chatting about. Oh before, yeah, that has a. Uh, um, uh, if you're interested in questions of privilege and affluence and uh, the things young men of, of privilege get to do, that's a fun movie uh-huh. to talk about. Let's make a date. Let's do it. Sure, I'm in. Uh, so yes, definitely check those out. Of course, you can check out all of my podcasts, all the media I'm doing at theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find this podcast, my Star Wars Universe podcast, which we will be starting coverage of the Book of Boba Fett. Um, I have told my family already that we're doing lots and lots of Christmas stuff right up till the 27th, at which point I go back into being Book of Boba Fett's released two days after Christmas. We'll be here to cover it. So we're going to do coverage of that every episode. Uh, we, I've been doing coverage of Hawkeye on the MCU cast. Definitely check that out. Uh, check out the uh, check out the most excellent '80s movies podcast. And most importantly, let us know what you think. Uh, all the ways to give us feedback are on that website, uh, theethicalpanda.com. Tweet at us, Facebook at us, send me an email. We'd love to know your thoughts. What did you think of the questions we discussed today? Let us know what you think. And most importantly, have a great day. 